Free Talk 930 WFMD, and uh, I, I would say that this gentleman does not have to be introduced, but since you don't know who it is, we're going to introduce him anyway. His name is Peter Noon, and obviously with Herman Herbenson's coming to the Weinberg Center this Sunday, uh, the 12th, and uh, we are so excited to have him on the program. Mr. Noon, thank you for joining us. It was very nice to be here with you. I'm big fans of the, the, your characters, and you know which one is the diminutive one. <laughs> before we before we start this off, I'm going to tell you, Peter. Okay, Bob always makes okay. fun of my accent because I'm from New York. All right, he has trouble understanding me, so I want to see who Bob understands better. Is it my New York accent? Or is it our friend uh, Peter Noon's English accent? So we'll see. Well, I will. That's easy to answer. Peter speaks the King's English, <laughs> and and Absolutely. Chris Michael and Chris Michael speaks a language that nobody understands. A foreign language, except garbage it's collectors it's from like, New York. He sounds like that bloke. You know, the British are coming. The British are coming. That one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, let's talk a little there, bit. You know, in the frozen wastelands. <laughs> Let's talk about a, a little bit about you, how you got started in the band Herman's Hermits, where you come up with a name like that, first of all. And I guess my first question is, when you start a band and you're like, I'm the guy who's going to sing the songs, how does, that, how does that work? How do you go, I'm the singer? Well, what happened was that I was the guitar player, and there were two guitar players in every, it was called, known as a beat group. And we played instrumentals. We did Walk, Don't Run by the Ventures and... Uh, and you know, we when when the lead singer wasn't singing, you played guitar, and then you put the guitar down. And so one day we're at a rehearsal, and I'm playing. Uh, there's a new guitar player in the band, and he's really, really good. And they all met behind my back, and came to me afterwards and said, "Peter, why don't you be the lead singer?" <laughs> so basically, stop playing guitar. Really, yeah, your, your guitar riffs are horrible. And then, and then, well, they were they were pretty good, really. But the note had the right notes, but not always in the right places. <laughs> and so, what happened was that I became the lead singer, which meant that you had to stand on stage and watch somebody play the lead guitar, except in the songs that needed a lead singer. So, bit by bit, we got rid of instrumentals, and I became not only the lead singer but the leader of the band. And everything I said became dogma. You know, let's practice, because uh, we've seen the Beatles, and you know what they've got that we don't have, talent. So if you have no talent, <laughs> you rehearse more and more and more. So we rehearsed, we, I, I found, I said, what we've got to do is quit, quit going to school, quit your day job, and forget university. We're going to be working 10 hours a day to be as good as, like, the Beatles' um, sisters. And... <clears throat> Everybody believed that they, they all quit their jobs. And I found four idiots who believed that a 15-year-old guy had a good idea. And yeah. we were called Pete Novak and the Heartbeats, and we metamorphosized into Herman and the Hermits because we were in a pub, and I was... Uh, the Pete Novak and the Heartbeats were like a Buddy Holly tribute band, really. Buddy Holly um, was this Texas singer that we loved, and we could all play his songs really well, and I could go, Will... And and what happened was the, 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 the owner of a pub that we were playing in came over to me and he said, what the bloody hell are you doing? And I looked at him and I had these great, like, Buddy Holly-type glasses. And I said, oh, come, look, 
it's Buddy Holly. Well, and he goes, that's not Buddy Holly, that's Sherman from the Bullwinkle Show. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, everybody laughed. Everybody in the place laughed. So we said, okay. I actually said Herman from the Bullwinkle Show. But he meant Sherman from the Bullwinkle Show. Uh, and everybody laughed. And he said, and forget, you, you think you look like heartbeats. You look like bloody hermits. You dress like bloody hermits. So we became Herman and the bloody hermits. We went back to Steve Titterington, the drummer's house. And um, we, we rehearsed in his house because his sister was a police officer. So couldn't get any complaints from the neighbors. And we, we made those little business cards, you know, Herman and the hermits, weddings, bar mitzvahs, anything for money. And we put my mum's phone number on it. And we were a professional band from that minute on. Started to work. And people liked the name. That's amazing. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm going to date myself, and I'm sorry, gonna date you. That it shows, according to Wikipedia, you started in 1962, the year I was born. Um, and uh, the other thing is that the, you were talking about the Beatles. They started in 1960, so you were part of the British invasion. Did you have? Uh, did you have managers and people going, "Look, you need to be more like the Beatles than Herman Hermits." Nah, you know, nah, no. You see, at the time. We'd seen the Beatles, and, and they played in a little park near my grandmother's house. And me and the bass player at the time walked across this field to, to have a look at the Beatles, this new band who'd just come back from Germany. I think it's August 1963. And the bass player quit the band. He saw the Beatles play one song. He said, that's it. I'm out. I'm, I'm going to go get my, get my day job because they were that good. Wow. And, and I was inspired by them. But, it, you know, we... Everybody had to be unique and different at the time. You couldn't be like the Beatles. It was already a Beatles. So, you know, if you look at the period, you know, the Who aren't like the Kinks, and the Kinks aren't like the Stones, and the Stones aren't like Herman's Hermits, and Herman's Hermits aren't like the Beatles or the Stones or the Who or the Kinks, and everybody had to be different. So we would open our show at, at, at the Cavern in Liverpool with My Boy Lollipop because nobody else would do that. And then we'd do Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter. None of the other groups did songs like that. So we were completely different and unique, and, and we, we, when we played at the Cavern, there was this guy called Bob Wooler, and because I was the leader of the band, I, I was the Herman, I got to go and get the money, and he would say, I'm only going to give you six pounds. I said, well, we agreed on 10 pounds, and he said, yeah, but you know, people were dancing. If people were dancing, I don't need you. I can just play records. Ah, okay, so then we, we decided that we would be like the Beatles. We'd do, like, songs, different tempo songs all the time. You know what I mean? We'd do a fast song, and then we'd... So we'd add The End of the World, which was that Skeeter Davis, Why does the sun go on shining? You know, songs like that where people would do the other dance, you know, like they'd grab a girl, even if they didn't know a girl. They'd grab a girl or a bloke and dance. And, you know, sometimes the song that you don't think people will dance to is the one that they want to dance to like they you know that close on close contact remember they used people people used to dance when when bands played people used to dance they didn't just jump up and down yeah right they, yeah. Yeah, they would dance yeah. so you know, when you went so going out i'm going out to i'm going out to dance you didn't go to see the band the band was just somebody who provide, provide the tempo the changes in tempo or replaced by a dj or a box I have a question here. So when 
you had you've had so many hits, and you're such a, a massive part of music history with the British invasion uh, to the United States. What was your groundbreaking hit out of all the hits that you had? What was the one that just brought you over to the U.S. with the rest of the great British groups? You know, it started slowly. Our biggest hit outside of the U.S. was I'm Into Something Good, which was number one everywhere. You know, it was just such a great, perfect little first single. But I think the one that broke open in America was probably Mrs. Brownie Got a Lovely Daughter. Because it was during that British, everything British was on the, in, in vogue. And it, it was such a different record. It was, it was just supposed to be an album track. It wasn't supposed to be in, released ever. And because it was like a cute song from the Cavern days. Everybody in, in early British invasion time, the Beatles did, recorded their set list. And we recorded our set list. So the, all the songs on your first album were from your set list. You know, you know, the Beatles, they didn't have many of their own songs on the first record. And they were all, you know, Chains and Anna and all songs that they played in their set list. So, and Boys, and you know, they were all different. So we had that as our first album and thrown in the back of it, Mickey Mouse, when we recorded it, said, oh, I don't think people are going to, let's put this on the beast, on the second side, track three, no one will ever get that deep into your LP. And, um, it just some disc jockey in it, probably in Pennsylvania started to play it and he played it all day and it broke out and we didn't want to release it as a single and suddenly the record company said you got to release it as a single because it will enter the charts higher than any record ever wow. so I said okay put it out put it out I and, then, say- and then we had I'm Henry VIII I am after that, we had to find something else that would be like similarly English. Hello, hello. Let's do something with an English accent. Then, then we got Henry VIII, which was an old English musical song, and they kind of covered all those brilliant recordings that we made. Like uh, that, you know. But when people go Henry VIII, oh, what's that? I said, well, you know, I think it's like one of the shortest songs ever to be number one in America, and it's also it has the unique. Uh, distinction of being the recording session took as long as the record so if the record's one minute 57 seconds long that's how long we spent making the record and mrs brown you've got a lovely daughter hit hit number one in the top of the charts and so did henry the eighth yeah but they both they were both made nonchalantly kind of only for fun and and you will notice that all the records I think music records are set, they they typify a moment in time, right? And that was a great moment. I'm into something good was a great moment. Mrs. Brown, you got a great lovely daughter was a great moment. Wherever you were, if you were around in those days, you know where you heard it, and you know just like you know where the Beatles songs because they're so different and unique and fun. And, and and when I'm when I'm on stage when I sing those songs, I remember making the record and how much fun it was making the record. And the same as I do, there's a kind of hush all over the world. It's one of my favorite Herman Hermits tracks. You know, there's a kind of hush all over the world, that one. And, and when, I'm, when I do it, I can remember being in the studio at Abbey Road with John Paul Jones, who was a bass player from Led Zeppelin, conducting the orchestra and playing the bass at the same time and, and directing me with his face. One you know, of the now, old, now you know, those, 
We're talking with Peter Noon here on Free Talk 930 WFMD. He's going to be at the Weinberg Center this Sunday. Looking forward to it. I will tell you that the first two songs that I remember uh, of the Herman Hermits, uh, Herman's Hermits, was um, uh, No Milk Today. And um, the other one was, there. I think it was, a, There's a Kind of a Hush. Those are the two yeah, uh, songs. Them. Yeah. Yeah. You those know, are the ones that I remember. That, that, there's a Kind of Hush was. Um, was the A side and No Milk Today was the B side, but the No Milk Today was the biggest, still today is far, by far the biggest selling Herman's Hermit song. But it just wasn't a hit in America because it was the B side of There's a Kind of Hush. And neither were big hits because of, but people remember them. There's a Kind of Hush is one of the showstopper songs still. My friends in other bands, they come and see and they say, I can't believe it. That reaction to There's a Kind of Hush. I go, I know we don't know. It only got to like number seven or something. It wasn't one of those like, uh, you know, she loves you kind of hits. It mm-hmm. was like a kind of small hit, but it stood the test of time. All right, Peter, hold on to that thought. We'll be right back with Peter Noon of Hermits Hermits performing this Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Weinberg Center here in Frederick. Free Talk 930 WFMD. We're talking with Peter Noon here on Free Talk 930 WFMD. He's going to be at the Weinberg Center this Sunday. Looking forward to it. So let me ask you a question. In Wikipedia, I was looking at you up in Wikipedia, and it says that you have a, a singing tongue-in-cheek style. So did you not take yourself too seriously? Or does that mean something well, different? I, a tongue-in-cheek means you're making fun of yourself, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, that well, that's what I always say. My tongue firmly planted in my cheek means I'm going to say something that's kind of, you know, I'm not taking myself too seriously. Well, but that's what they were saying, that your style was kind of a tongue-in-cheek. And I'm like, well, maybe he didn't take himself too seriously. Well, I, I never took myself too seriously. You know, I mean, it, when you think, you know, I met Elvis, and, and he didn't take himself seriously. And I knew all the Beatles, and they didn't take themselves seriously. So where was I going to suddenly start to take myself seriously? Would I be like Eden Kane or some, you know, like guy with glue on his hair and everything? I don't. I didn't think of that. We didn't want to be that. We kind of played against that. You know, the name was a play against. We thought no girl would ever scream out the word Herman. Well, you know what I mean? We actually believed that it was like non-sexual. It was playing against that boy band thing because we didn't know we were a boy band. We didn't know we they hadn't been invented yet. So they the they were, were men. they were the equivalent the to Insync back back in the sixties. Insync and Backstreet Boys, but they didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that was the when you think about it, we were the Beatles were seven years older than us. Well, but they were, we were you know, boys. We're, we weren't even. Yeah. We, we, we were boys and they were men. Mm-hmm. Was. You know, but they, obviously they you grew up, right? <laughs> you obviously grew up. So no, my I'm still a boy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> still a boy at heart. Uh, you well, know you know what? It's as you were instead of Peter Noon, you're Peter Peter Pan, right? You still haven't grown up yet. Uh, real quick, okay, that you be, kind of, go ahead. I'll be whatever you want me to be. Peter Pan, Peter go. Noon, <laughs> Peter Knight, you know, whatever. You, you, Every, you, any, everything works. 
Well, you 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 brought up the fact that you guys were boys and that Beatles were seven years older and stuff. But obviously, as a band in that kind of era, the groupies and the girls screaming. And uh, did you did you guys have that? And then my next question is that you're still singing, you're still playing. And then have you ever ran into a groupie that said, "I was a groupie when I was 15, and I'm a groupie now that I'm 65 or 70 years old." Unfortunately, yes, that does happen quite a lot. But we, luckily, we were 15 with those 15-year-old groupies, so that was okay. It's like it, 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 times have changed, you know. I mean, I, I, I think, think, I think of the period when I came up in America as being like one of the safe periods in for teenage people. That you know, if you didn't get called off to Vietnam. Life was pretty, I think about it, this is something that, that I refer to all the time. In 1963, 40,000 mums and dads dropped their kids off at Shea Stadium at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and said, we'll pick you up at 9 o'clock. Hmm. Wow, yep. That's a, it's a it. I really... mean, that's really happened. That's a, it's a historical fact that mm-hmm. 40,000 parents dropped off their little girls at Shea Stadium mm-hmm. in New York. You know, if you drop, if you dropped off your mother at Shea Stadium today, <laughs> you'd lucky to see her ever again. And I'm a Mets fan, so uh, yes, I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, uh, I, I mean, wouldn't leave my well, daughter in New York by herself. That's for sure. In any ballpark nowadays. Exactly. So think about it. How the times have changed. So, so the music is a re- is a remnant of also from a period when people felt safe and you know girls could go to concerts and not expect to anybody to do anything horrible and people didn't swear in the audience mm-hmm. and the band didn't say hurts or you know and people people forget that and for a whole period there you just need a cop in front of the thing and people had a massive amount of respect so the music is representative that's all all my songs are romantic things that you don't hear songs like that on the radio anymore. Songs that have a girl falling in love and, right. and heartbroken, and and our groupers. We had we had more groupers than anybody else because we were young boys, and you, so you know that we had screaming girls and banging on the wall all night, but we let them out at nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> So then, so my question now, um, before we go really off the rails here, um, are you glad that you were born in the period and that you, the music that you played was the period? Could you be an artist like today? Could you do that as Peter Noon today? I think so, because I would be completely different from everybody Mm -hmm. else. You know, I often say, you know, we've got a guy in the band, in the Hermits, who can dance a bit, and he does some like can can some sort of fun, inappropriate dancing on stage. And I say, look at that. He represents those eight big girls that we would normally have if we just started out. We don't have eight girls dancing. We have no fireworks. All we've got is great songs and him. So, you know, you could start again if you have. I think you have to have a sense of humor, you know, in the music mm-hmm. business. If you take it seriously. It's, Everybody who ever made it started out as a musician, as a hobby. They never said, you know, Dad, Dad wasn't lean enough. Hey, you practice every day and you make a million dollars. That doesn't happen. You know, maybe nowadays, but then it didn't. We all were enthusiasts. We bought hundreds of records 
and the ones we liked, we remembered. And do you know what I mean? That's what all musicians, no matter what kind of musician, they all started off being a fan of music and wanting to learn how to do it. And then suddenly one day, you know, they get a name change and they start to make money doing it. A lot of the people, a lot of the people that I grew up with had a stamp book, you know, Mm -hmm. they got a stamp book. I got a guitar. That's the only difference. You know, what I love about you is the fact that I, I, I follow you on, on Facebook and you you just love your fans and, and you mentioned you have to have a great sense of humor and that's what's amazing about you is the fact that you have such a great sense of humor and I, I see, you know, I see videos of you in concert. By the way, I'll be there Sunday uh, in, in this concert. I'm, I'm excited this Sunday to see you. But man, you you still like you look like you still love what you do. No matter how many times you've sang these songs, Peter, you still it, you, it looks like you're still singing it for the first time because you're smiling, you're having fun, and that's what I love about you. And I think that's what the fans are really going to see this Sunday at the concert. Well, I'm not embarrassed to say that I true I do have fun doing what my job because Good. it never was it always was always my hobby. If I wasn't doing it on something to do with my background as well also in, in i came from this family where everybody played a musical instrument or tap danced or did something and that was very common around liverpool and manchester you know my grandfather played the organ in the church he was pretty good at it you know it's like felix cavalieri he could play it with his feet as well and uh my grandmother was the choir mistress she used to be able to call them the choir mistress in the local church and i got kicked out of the choir because i wanted to be the lead singer and um, my dad had a trombone. His brother in his brother had a trumpet. We had a brother-in-law who had like a drum washboard. And we, whenever there was a funeral, a baptism, a christening, a wedding, everybody would congregate in a room called the parlor at my grandmother's. And there was a piano, and there was a you know, and we would play songs. And we'd send the trumpet player in the in the bathroom because he was too loud. And we would. We'd play music for fun. Well, that's amazing. You know, people used to do that. People used to do that. You know, I remember I was sitting in the, in the kitchen of my grandparents, and, the, and he, my dad was in a big band, in a big, you know, that one. And he, my grandfather's listening to the radio, and he goes, that's the end of live music. I've got it on the radio now. Mm-hmm. So you see, nobody ever knows. Nobody can ever forecast it. So you say, could I start again i probably would you know and i'd be in i'd be doing cabaret rooms in on long island there you know what i mean and i would have fun i would have fun i have fun no matter where i go so i'm sure you're gonna have fun at at the weinberg center Uh, i want to ask one more question and then i'm done i know we got to let you go and we're out of time and that is is there a song that uh you sing that you're like i'm really tired of that song i really wish i didn't have to sing it again not really, you know, okay. I, I kind of, you know, there's, there's an element that you have to get it right, you know, and I think I got some of them right on the recording session and I'm constantly searching for that, that kind of perfection. Mm-hmm. And of course that never happens, you know, if you keep, you know, it's a bit Stanislavski, but it's a, if you, if you believe the man in the song or the woman in the song, if you believe in them, then you can constantly, you can com- completely give a hundred percent to the song. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't believe I'm Henry VIII, but I do believe I'm speaking to Mrs. Brown when I sing Mrs. Brown, you got a lovely daughter. 
and and I do wake up in the morning feeling fine. So I woke up this morning feeling fine. That works. There's a kind of hush all over the world. Never was more relevant than today, you know. So, you know, I'm lucky that, that my songs have depth, even though they're thought to be fluff. Oh, yeah, you know, that's bubblegum music. Well, you know what? I'm into something good isn't bubblegum music. It's like a brilliantly constructed song about a man who meets a girl or a boy who meets a girl and falls in love and he feels fine. Hello? Something tells me I want something good. So all of that stuff is in my show and I never get tired of it because it's never the same. We don't have that set list, that boring set list like the big band had. Where, you know, we, nobody knows what's next. Look at the faces on the hermits. They have no idea what I'm doing because I don't. You know, I don't know what the next song is until I finish the song. And I love that because you know what? At the end of the day, uh, Peter, who cares if it's bubblegum music? It makes people happy. It makes people smile. With so much stuff going on in the world today, that's what we need. We need music to make people laugh and make people smile and just bring people together. So bubblegum music, even if it is considered bubblegum music, it's great. Yummy, yummy, yummy. There you go. The other great thing about you, sir, is if I read it correct, you have been married to one woman since you were 21 years of age. Yeah, I got married on my 21st birthday. She still likes me. <laughs> Boy, she, she, I tell you what, she picked a good one, Bob, huh? <laughs> yeah, I tell right? you. Yeah. He picked a good one. Well, he, remember, he yes, picked her. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. She's just agreed to say yes. Our, yeah, our wives nice. picked radio, nice. guys. Yeah. Well, Peter, we appreciate you being here. We, I, I, I hope that it's a, a complete sellout at the uh, at the uh, Weinberg Center. You, you don't look uh, your age. You look like you're still in your twenties, maybe your early thirties. We'll go there. But uh, oh, I'm we, about sixty-nine. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter how you how old you look. Remember, it only matters how old you feel. And I, when I was about twenty-five, I felt like thirty, <laughs> but now I feel like younger than I did when I was twenty-five. I don't know what's going on. Well, you're coming to a beautiful town. You're coming to a beautiful town, Frederick. I hope you get an opportunity to spend a a couple hours uh, maybe walking around downtown, Frederick. It is a beautiful town. The the creek and just the shops that we have, it's just, and the history that we have in our area. Uh, I I hope you will enjoy it as much as we will enjoy your presence at the Weinberg Center. Thank you so much. I shall be there and I shall return. Very good. I'm looking forward to it. And we're looking forward to seeing you. Thank you so much for being part of the Morning News Express. Take care of yourself.